Hello and welcome. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. On this edition of the HFS Podcast as a Service, we head out on location to the St. Regis Hotel, where HFS held Vision 2020 for Intelligent Operations on May 26th and 27th. Today, we feature HFS CEO and Chief Analyst Phil First as he looks at the state of the as-a-service economy and intelligent operations. So let's join Phil as he kicks things off. So let's talk about the world. Um, data is eating, eating the services industry, it's eating the world. So let's ask a few questions here. What's the world's largest taxi company which owns no taxis? Easy, okay. Um, the most popular media owner, media owner which creates no content? Tony? Facebook. Okay. Largest accommodation provider owns no real estate. Very quiet, where go? Largest phone companies which own no telecom infrastructure. Jennifer, you should know this one by now. You've sat through this before. <laughs> okay. Skype and WeChat. World's most valuable retailer has no inventory. Amazon, Alibaba. It is Alibaba. Uh, fastest growing banks have no actual money. Close society one. Hang on. World's largest movie house owns no cinemas. Netflix, easy one. And then largest software vendors who don't write the apps. You must know this one. Come on. Google. There we go. Uh, world's most popular emerging research firm that doesn't sell research reports. Uh, thank you very much. There we go. Okay. Um, but all in all, this is all about the customer experience. The reason why these new companies have evolved so quickly and disruptively into our world is because um, they evolved everything around the customer experience. And we put out our new study, and we asked uh, folks, and we cut this data by senior vice president and vice president below, you can see 51% of the senior level folks in operations today um, view um, their sourcing model being driven by a customer first strategy. Um, we also asked, um, asked the same bunch of people um, whether they agreed or disagreed with the following statements. And you can see here, new digital technology in initiatives are radically changing the way they manage their business operations. So. 75% see uh, digital as radically impacting them. 32% strongly see it as impacting them. 28% um, of senior management actually see cognitive computing as a critical component of their future strategy. So they're thinking about it now. Um, we do talk about cognitive as tomorrow's big thing, but it's increasingly starting to become something we're having to think about today. And then deploying intelligent operations that align the front office um, with the core business. That will have the biggest impact. So 70% of operations leaders really want to see this alignment of the front and the core. Which brings me to something I, I term as, uh, we call it the in intelligent one office. Uh, so we've been challenging the industry for a couple of years now around this definition of digital. It's probably become one of the most overused, annoying, exasperating terms we've ever heard. And we've... <laughs> frequently tried to say, can we just stop using it? It's meaningless. Eventually, we gave in. Thought, we've had so many clients come to us on the buy side saying, we need to have a digital strategy. We need to be seen to have a digital strategy. 
We're not quite sure what a digital strategy actually is, but we need to have one. So we thought we'd help you define it more effectively, is that digital in its purest form is really, it's really the omni-channel. It's the ability to interact with your clients uh, using mobile, social, um, using interactive tools, and having great analytics around that to understand your customers and predict behaviors. Not just react to historical events, but actually predict what they're going to do in the future. That's really what digital is in its purest form. It's the omni-channel. It's the customer experience of your company online, using mobile apps, using, using the internet, using, it could be using more um, voice over IP-based technologies, but that's what it is. So everything behind it is to enable that intelligent one office experience. And we call it one office because the front office is the thing that enables the customer experience. What we term as the middle and the back offices today are really the support vehicles to enable that to make it happen. So the, we have to break down those barriers between the front, the middle, and the back. They need to go away. This needs to be one office. So we can break this out quite intelligently by saying, let's look at something, sorry, something known as the uh, digital underbelly, which is like the nervous system for processing and accepting all your inputs. That's where something like automation comes into play. Like you can't really be a digital organization if you have broken manual processes or you still need to digitize manual documents which haven't been put into your system, right? Or you can even leverage some of your IoT within this. You need that automation underbelly to be a digital organization. Then you need to think about your, we call it your, it's like your circular system. This is, um, this is your um, support vehicle. These are your HR, finance, procurement, supply chain, customer support people who are there to support the function. They need to make it work. They need to hire talent to support it. They need to make sure your inventory is managed effectively and supplied effectively. You need to figure out the right supply chain to get to market. Think some very interesting things about companies like Samsung now having customer experience stores where they're not even selling their products in the stores anymore because they know you're going to go and buy it over Amazon, right? So you need that support function that really makes a digital organization function and happen. It has to be, things have to be paid for, things have to be procured. And this is how this fits into play. And then finally, um, we talk about the neural system, which is intelligent digital processes. This is where we look at things like cognitive and predictive analytics, where we really start to think about how can we be really intelligent about looking down the road at future events and happenings and really figuring out how to stay ahead of the curve here. Uh, because disruptions are having around the customer experience, which could put us all out of business tomorrow. If we don't stay ahead of it and don't understand it, don't manage to it effectively. So this impacts everything. So when we hire people to run processes today, do you want people just to sit there and look at your order the cash? Or do you want them to look at your customer the cash and think about let's look at the whole chain and look at how we're really impacting our customers and the business? How do we truly broaden roles and flatten structures to make this more of a one office experience for the whole organization? Yep, we're not gonna do that anymore. <laughs> So one of the big themes, and we'll be talking about this more in our Flameside chat, is this whole concept of being as a service. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the, this was the way we were, this was legacy, and this is the to be. Uh, let's get rid of the to be. Let's talk about the now, right? So let's talk about writing off legacy. Uh, let's figure out what we can actually start to think about writing off today. 
Uh, we can't write it all off, and some of it still works. And, and in many cases, we still need to bring in COBOL engineers to make things function. But we need that mindset to how do we start to think about writing off some of those legacy processes and obsolete habits that have held us back. How do we think more about design thinking, more about how do we look at the outcomes of what we're really trying to achieve and almost work backwards from there, figure out how do we get there, how do we prioritize around that, how do we become better brokers of capability. Let's get away from governing to the letter of the contracts and service levels and metrics and start to think about brokering expertise and capabilities for the organization. So I work in procurement. My company has issues around this and that particular process. Maybe we should look at some robotic software, or maybe we should uh, look at using consultants and that sort of thing. So how can you become more of a broker of expertise? Um, how do we get to a more collaborative engagement? This is very tied to design thinking, but it's about how do we work more with a provider uh, to get away from that FDE model? How can we talk about an automation strategy with a provider to say, what can we do as a team to figure out how we can share some of these risks and share some of these gains and rewards further down the road? And then we get to what we call the solution ideals. These first four things are all change ideals. This is where we are today. We're trying to figure out how to change, how to um, move the needle in our careers. How do we become students again and stop being experts? Because the minute we admit we're all students again, we're learning, we're getting back to school, we're figuring out how to get more effective at what we're doing. So intelligent automation, we'll be talking a lot about that further this morning, about embracing this more effectively, understanding where humans and bots can sit together more effectively in, in, in a governance structure. Um, looking at having more actionable and meaningful data. How can you make it accessible, real-time, and meaningful? Um, how do you have a holistic uh, security strategy that isn't reactive, that isn't just responding to events, but is actually proactively preventing things happening down the road that can harm your organization? And then how do you get to this nirvana of you know, like a plug-and-play digital business service where you can plug into the experience of a service provider and get whatever processes or services they're delivering coupled with the people, the talent, and the capabilities that they really need. So we asked the senior folks in the study that we ran um, how quickly their core operation functions would adapt to becoming intelligent, and we obviously went through the ideals with them. Um, we asked a similar question in a similar study a year ago, and around 70% said, we'll get there in about five years and out. To me, five years is saying never. Five years is, the, is someone else is going to, this is someone else's problem. This is a year in, suddenly people are saying, you know, 56% of the senior vice presidents and above, they got to get there within two years. Okay. The other half don't, they're looking five years out still. And even in the middle to lower level, 43% saying we got to get there in two years. So 50% of enterprises are now saying we've got to get from this very, uh, not very mature state that we're in right now to something much more intelligent uh, in a two-year time frame. People are feeling the heat and the pressure uh, to really evolve and advance more than they've ever had before. In terms of the significance of these ideals, um, you know, we really got them to look at how critical they were uh, to the future of the organization. And you can see here, in terms of absolute criticality, 30% see having actionable, accessible data as the number one ideal that is impacting their business the most today. 50% see security, and then 50% look at design thinking. 
the ability to co-create with themselves, with their partners, to really reimagine how they do things is now the third most critical ideal within their operations. This is very high on the agenda, particularly when you look at the middle management layer, is this desire to collaborate, really look at where they're trying to go and figure things out. And you'll see we've got some data around skills, but this ability to define business outcomes is becoming very high on the skills requirements now of operations professionals. But then we get into this delta between truly what senior management want and middle management and down think that they can achieve. And this is where things get very interesting. So when we ask about how much impact would it have on their organization if they could reach their desired end state in these ideals today, where would it be? So replacing your existing legacy provider with a more as a service driven provider, you've got 77% of senior C-suite management. So we pulled out the C-level from this, which was about 10% of the sample, and compared that with the rest, compared to only 27% of the middle layer. So the middle layer is saying, you know, we'll stay with where we are, we're doing okay, whereas nearly three quarters of the C-suite think they've got to rip out what they have to have much more impact. Um, things like identifying a transformational leader, nearly 70% of the C-suites think they need better talent, they need a better leadership in the organization compared to a much smaller number in the mid layer. Um, and then investing in external services to redesign operations. 62% of the C-suite think they need to invest outside of the organization to really change where they're going compared to only 24% of the mid layer. So the C-suite think this is easy. They think, oh yeah, we can just go and make these sweeping changes and it's, gonna, it's all gonna happen. Whereas the mid layer is saying, hang on a sec, this is really, really difficult, hard stuff. You can't just, um, make up strategy and we're going to follow. And I've heard countless times people saying, my boss this has come back from some conference saying we've got to have a, an RPA strategy or a digital strategy, and they just don't know what they're talking about. But this is, this is a problem. There's a huge disconnect between where the senior layer is and where the middle layer is. Uh, interestingly, where they seem to be aligned more is around creative problem solving and design thinking. They both seem to agree there that that's where they have to uh, have some impact and make some changes. So this ability to come together and really figure stuff out more collaboratively definitely seems to be high on the agenda of both parties. So let's start to look at plans. What's happening down the road here? So um, we, asked this, we asked the folks, um, how likely are you to switch provider um, when your contract comes up for renewal? Um, what are your plans? And you can see here, uh, IT deals, you've got one in four IT infrastructure deals 22% uh, of application deals are going to go to another provider upon renewal. And of those deals, nearly half of them are going to be as a service type arrangements. So in IT services, we're starting to see a shift. Nearly one in four IT services deals are going to go um, to other providers and half of them are going to go into a more of a consumption-based as a service type model. When we look at some of the business processes though, Look at this, F&A, right down the bottom. Only 9% of F&A clients are going to try and switch providers on their next, uh, next renewal, and only 3% are going to go as a service. So what's happening here is you've got the um, probably slightly less risky but more mature function of IT leading the way with the model in terms of the way people are actually getting IT delivered is definitely a setting the bellwether, I think, for the rest of the industry. In terms of um, the obstacles holding them back, uh, we poured out again that, that, that 
sample of the C-suite to the middle management. And you can see here, 58% of the C-suite view a lack of willingness from their service providers as the biggest uh, to change the model, to cannibalize revenues. They think that's the biggest obstacle to making progress. Only 20% of the C-suite of the middle management agree. However, when we get down to other areas like lack of change agent leadership, 27% of the middle management are saying, we're lacking great leaders. They're actually seeing this void in leadership. And then in terms of we don't have the talent to evolve the current model, a quarter of the middle management are saying, we don't have the talent. Whereas only 9% of the C-suite think they don't have the talent. So there's a clearly a disconnect between where these entities want to take the organizations. And that needs to heal, I think, before we can really see progress. So let's finalize with weaving the old into the new. Um, when we look at plans for outsourcing uh, over the course of uh, the next 12 months, you can see here, this is a state of industry study, um, in terms of increasing the offshore components of outsourcing, it's still pretty high. 30% of IT, 29% F&A, procurement, 21%, HR, 18%. Let's get into shared services. You still can see similar numbers are increasing quite dramatically how much offshore componentry they're still investing in with their shared services. So the old model may have slowed a little bit, but it's not dying. Companies are still investing in offshore arbitrage. It's still here as a, as a lever. I see automation and things like that as additional levers to find an existing additional value. And then we can start to see from our new study when we ask clients around um, how, um, what they're actually not outsourcing within their organization, you can see the front office areas like sales, industry-specific areas or marketing, even supply chain, um, you know, two-thirds and above are not outsourcing any of this. It's not even in a shared service. It's completely decentralized. Whereas when we get into the back office, uh, this is where all the activity is happening. So only 33% um, are not outsourcing their, or their IT, 36% their, 55% um, their F&A. So the front and middle office um, is not outsourcing a hell of a lot. There's a lot more happening around the back office in IT. And that's one of the big issues of our industry today. Everything is focused around this back office, very operational process at the back of the organization, very little happening at the middle to the front, which is where some of the key issues are happening. Um, we hark back to our last big summit stateside. Uh, this is just about six months ago, where we asked, we had 53 uh, buyers in the room, um, how they really viewed service providers. And I'd love to continue this conversation over the next couple of days. We're going to ask this question of you again. But what, how do you view your provider today? Is it a vital partner that plugs critical gaps in skill, domain technology? 28%. Are you a great vehicle to drive down costs and improve efficiencies? 52%. So there's this perception out there still today that a service provider is here as an efficiency player, not necessarily a strategic player. So how can, how can we change that game? We're only 28% are viewed as real partners that can plug these critical capability gaps. Um, in terms of the relationships, um, we asked the same group of people, um, describe your relationship with your provider, and only 20%, you can see here, view the relationship as collaborative with joint strategy and execution. Unfortunately, the rest either view the relationship as directive, 69%, or very dysfunctional. So only one in five relationships are truly collaborative today. So how do you get to define outcomes together? How do you get to jointly strategize and figure out an automation strategy? 
And then finally, we asked buyers, how do they improve the quality and outcomes from their current service relationships? And um, we threw out some options out there. 45% actually said, if we could roll out an automation strategy in tandem with their provider, that would have the biggest impact on the quality and outcome of their relationship. And 28% said letting go and actually delivering more, giving out more high value work to their provider. So clearly the big game shift here is the introduction of automation and intelligent automation as a value lever to improving the quality of a relationship. Um, how do we get there? How do we start to move that conversation forward? So let's finish up with some fantasy here. Um, when we just get into our automation conversation, we heard McKinsey believes 45% of current jobs could be replaced using technology that exists. Forrester have claimed a million US B2B sales jobs will go away by 2020. Gartner predicts one in three jobs will be converted to software, robots, and smart machines in the next eight years. Um, an Oxford University study has predicted 47% of total US employment is at risk. Our good friend Stephen Hawking, he thinks that um, AI would be the biggest and possibly the last event in human history. Uh, the, the lovely English news paper, The Guardian, highlighted a scientist, Moshe Vardy's view that the oldest profession in the world is under threat of being robotized. Uh, let's just finish up with some reality. And unfortunately, uh, <laughs> this could very much be reality. But um, I think a lot of these rote B2B sales and customer service jobs, they've already gone away. Come on. I mean, this, this thing about, you know, you know, many, many more of these, these you know, customer service type things being phased out. That, that's already happened. Yes, there'll be some, some increased uh, developments in automation and things like that. But I think a lot of this has already happened today. Uh, manufacturing jobs, a lot of it's already been automated out. You know, you had a car plant put into your hometown 20 years ago. Everyone would get very excited about the thousand jobs it would create. That same plant today may only create 50 jobs. Um, traditional back office and IT work, a lot of that's already been moved offshore. All that low-hanging fruit, it's kind of, most of it's been moved off, right? This is why we're talking about the next thing, right? So um, automation in the back office as well. It's not about um, direct headcount reduction. You, you, you can't just move 15, 20% of work into a piece of software recording with object technology and things and then just say that has direct headcount implications. It doesn't. It's a place of reallocating work, improving the experience of what you're doing to get things done. So it's about improving productivity. It's not about just displacing uh, very large elements of headcount. We've been listening to HFS CEO and Chief Analyst Phil First looking at the state of the as-a-service economy and intelligent operations, live from our recent summit in San Francisco. I'm Mark Reed Edwards of HFS. We hope you've enjoyed the HFS podcast as a service. Visit horsesforsources.com to read the blog, hfsevents.com to learn about our events, and hfsresearch.com to read our research.